0: Good morning. 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 Um, If anybody needs a uh, Bible or a pen, uh, just put your hand up and we'll get you one right away. Uh, My name is Dan. I'm a leader here at Grace Fellowship Church. And I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever been to a hot tub church? (laughs) Hot tub church. Let me explain that to you. That would be a church where everything is comfortable Everything is relaxed, everything is uplifting, and everything, generally speaking, is pretty easy. You show up, and nobody asks you any hard questions, they just make you feel good, and uh, you just sit back and relax, it's just like a hot tub. But when you get out of a hot tub church, it's just like getting out of a regular hot tub, you're ready for sleep. But if if you need Jesus, right? Like if you need Jesus in your life, and if the world needs Jesus, then um, should should church massage you to sleep, or should it prepare you for battle? I say that because I don't want you to be asleep when Jesus comes back or when you go to meet him. That's why I stand up here and yell at you so much. (laughs) (laughs) The same was true of the early church. In fact, that's why John wrote the book of 1 John, which is the book we're studying. It was written to a church just like this one to help them test themselves and make sure they were actually Christians. Because you get that, right? I mean, you get that. Just cuz you sit in the you sit in a garage all day it doesn't mean you're a car. You get that, right? Like just cuz you go to church doesn't mean you're automatically a Christian, right? Do you get that? We're in the second chapter of of 1 John today. And and so far we've learned that in order to be assured that we're Christians, the first thing God does is expose our sins. That is, he takes our sin or our darkness and he brings it into the light which is where he does something about it. This week we're going to take a test to see if we're actually living in that light. That's the sermon title. Are you a Christian? We're going to take the test. And the test is found in those three questions you see on your outline right now. Do you obey Jesus's commandments? The second one is do you love the brothers? That's fellow Christians, which also might include your brother. And lastly, do you confess Jesus is the Christ? Answering no to any of these questions means you fail the test. But while that doesn't mean you're not a Christian, it does mean that you have reason to doubt it. I mean that. It means if you fail this test, you should not be sure that... You're a Christian. And I don't say that to mess your day up, right? Because some of you guys are like, I got my coffee and you're throwing shade at me. You're trying to darken my Sunday. It's my day (laughs) off. I say that because I want you to be sure and you can be sure. You can actually pass this test. Before we take it, we're going to have a look at two things. We're going to look at your resources for the test but we're also going to look at a really, really big threat that makes the test very hard. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 3 through 27 of 1 John, so you can turn there. If you have a church Bible, that's page 660. But we're actually going to start in the middle of the text. We're not going to start at at verse 3 and move through. We're going to start at 12 and go down to 17, and then I'm going to kind of preach around that. And here's why. John, the guy that wrote this, is not really a linear thinker. I don't know if you've ever been around one of those. They just kind of bounce around from subject to subject. They're cool. like They're not crazy. They just don't see the world as like straight line as the rest of us, but God can use them as he certainly used John. So we're going to do 12 through 17, and then I'm going to go back to verse 3, and we're going to preach around that. And uh, so this first part is the preparation which means your resources and the threat. Okay. 12 through 17 of 1st uh, John chapter 2. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you little children because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world." And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So look at that section. Do you see all the resources that you have for the test? I'm going to just run down through them. Verse 12, your sins are forgiven. Clean slate. This isn't you coming in for the final and you have like a three in the class and you've got to get like 110. You have a clean slate. Verse thirteen, you know both Jesus and God, and you've overcome Satan. That means any threat that out there is uh, any threat that's out there is is very much beatable. Verse 14, in a little bit of helpful repetition, you know Jesus and you're strong, and the word of God, you have it, and you have overcome Satan. See, everything you need to pass the test is freely given to you by Jesus that's what you have right if you're Christian you have that right now but there's a threat and it's the next verse uh, it's verse 15 and all three of the test questions are kind of connected to this verse verse 15 do not love the world if you love the world God is not in you let me give clarity on that verse because that verse has just been butchered a lot this does not mean hate the world. Cause that's easy, cause it's messed up. Do not love does not automatically mean hate. Cause God loved the world, right? I mean, John 3.16, even if this is your first time in a church, you've heard this one. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus. So then what are we not supposed to love? It's in verse 16. Fleshly desires, desires of the eyes, the pride of life. See, the words pride and desire, it means that you're really going to want certain things. Like they're going to be attractive to you. And you know what? Those things can be great. They can be things like marriage. They can be things like having a good job. But the problem is when we want those things more than Jesus, like when they're taken away or we don't get those things, we get mad at God. That's the problem. That's the threat from earlier that makes the test so hard because the world looks so good sometimes. But yet Jesus demands our allegiance. And why does he do that? Well, here's a big reason. It's right there in verse 17. Look down. The world is passing away along with the desires. If you get married, right, you you get married to that person that you've always wanted to marry, one day one or both of you is going to die. Like, you're either going to see them die, or they're going to see you die, or you're going to die together. It's going to happen. Or you're going to get that job, and it's either getting taken away, or you're too old to do it, and they give it to some younger guy, and you can't do that job anymore. Or you're going to get a bunch of money, and maybe you leave it to your kids, and they just blow it. <laughs> um, that's See, that's the, that's the the that's the war. But in the midst of that, Jesus, on the other hand, is eternal, and he's good. He's not going away. But the other stuff right now looks amazing, and maybe Jesus might not look so good. He's not quite as tangible to you. That's the war going on in everybody here that says they know Jesus this morning. You know, because everybody, if you're a Christian, you go to church, you say you're all about verses 12 through 14, right? Like, my sins are forgiven, and Jesus is awesome, But your life, like 3 in the morning when nobody's watching, your life might look a lot like the stuff in 15 through 17, the desires, the pride of life. So, here's what I'm saying. The resources you have are amazing, but the threat is very real. Okay, time for the test. We're going to start with the first question. Do you obey Jesus' commandments? I'm going to now back up and do verses 3 through 6. And we're going to read through um, the whole of uh, John. I'm going to just read these section by section as I, as I preach them. Question number one, do you obey Jesus' commandments? Start in verse three. And by this, we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, that's Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I'm going to spend a bit of time here in these uh, four verses. Let me start in verse 3 and explain the word keep. And then I'll explain what we're supposed to keep, like what the commandments are. First, the word keep. Here's what it does not mean. The word keep does not mean if you ever sin, hand in your halo. Because you'll meet people who are like, you sinned, you're not a Christian. They'll do that. That's not what keep means. That was made clear with the text from last week. Chapter 1, verse 8. If anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. So here's what it does mean. Keep keep just by definition means continuing. It means hold fast. It's more of a process. It's like you're working it out. That's what keep means. So what are we keeping? We're keeping Jesus' commandments. Let me define what those are. Because as soon as I say the word commandments, you might think big list of rules. You know, I got to do this. I can't do that. Got to do this, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. In reality, Jesus' commandments can be cooked down to one sentence. Jesus did it himself. Love the Lord your God. And I'll abridge it with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as a side note, I'm going to cover your neighbor in the next section. Right now, I'm going to focus on love the Lord your God. That, that, that would be Jesus, by the way. Love Jesus. So, it doesn't just mean follow these rules, right? Because have you ever met somebody who follows all the rules, but they hate Jesus? Like they're just mad all the time? Because if you do that, maybe that's you. That's actually worse than hate, I would say. Verse 4 gives us great clarity. Whoever says, I know him, that is Jesus, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Do you see how much worse it is when you don't hold fast and love what Jesus loves? You not only fail to love him, there's an implication. You demonstrate that you don't even know him. Like if you fail to love what Jesus loves, you actually don't know who he is. Let me explain this with a scenario then then we'll get to an application. Okay, imagine being single and Christian, but attracted to somebody who's not. Just imagine that. Some of you are just like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that now. Thanks. You know? Okay, does Jesus have a commandment for that? Like, does he have a specific? Is there a verse in the Bible that talks about that specifically? Yeah, it's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 14. I'll just read it. Do not be unequally yoked. You heard that one? With unbelievers, what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? See, you might look at that, you might say, Ah, oh, there's another rule. I haven't even read second I haven't even read Corinthians yet, and you're throwing more rules at me. Cook that down. Because you can cook everything down to that summed up phrase, love the Lord your God. See, it just means this. Like, if, if I'm that person who's single and is attracted to that girl, it's like, hey Dan, love the Lord your God. That girl or that guy you really want, they hate me. Run! What are you doing? Like, the building is on fire. Leave. Stop trying to make it work. And, but I'm over here and I'm like, oh Jesus, come on. You know, we can make this work. Like, she kinda likes church. Like, she, she has like a little statue of Buddha. That's spiritual, right? You're cool with that. <laughs> You do that all the time. Some of you guys are in those right now. Or some of you guys just got out of it and you're waiting for another one. This demonstrates not just hatred toward Jesus. It's worse than that. This demonstrates that you don't even understand the nature of who Jesus is. Because you see something that looks very good, but Jesus sees poison. That's what happens. So you try to claim him... While hating him. You don't know him. Because here's his nature. Jesus is for your good all the time, and you are never for your own good. You're, who's a worse enemy of you than you are? Right? Matt Chandler said this, like, who's lied to you more than you've lied to yourself? When you really understand that, and I hope you're getting it now, I hope you don't have to wait until you're like 80 to figure this stuff out. You can do it, but it's just a lot harder. When you really get that, the temptation then comes in to do what? Despair. You find out how messed up you are, and you respond to that in an even worse way. You look at question number one, you know, are you obedient? And you say, pfft, man blew that one, or you just say, man, I thought about sinning, right? Jesus says, don't think about it, and I thought about it, so I might as well sin, right? You ever done that? Like, well, I thought it, I'm not perfect, I might as well just go all the way. Might as well have fun on the way to hell. That's basically what we're saying. Here's your application, if that's you this morning. Don't give up. Verse 5 gives us amazing hope. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The only perfection necessary is God's perfection in you. And he provides that. You don't have it and that's all he is. Your job is simply to recognize your deep sin on a daily basis and repent and then get up and dust yourself off, and then take the test again. Daily. Hold fast. And that might sound like a nightmare to some of you. Like, seriously? i got to get up and do that until I'm like 90? Have you seen those people? They, can't, they don't even remember their last name. How can I do that? But um, it's actually amazing once you actually consider who Jesus is and the work that he does. Here's why. Jesus' work gives you two things to just endure and hold fast. First thing it gives you is it gives you confidence to change. Because remember verse 12, your sins are forgiven. Like the stuff that you're just sweating, Jesus is like, I already paid for that. What are you worried about? But here's the second thing it gives you. And a lot of us forget this, especially if we go to church too long and we just let our guard down. It gives you urgency to change. It doesn't just give you confidence to change. It gives you urgency to change. Because now you belong to a loving God. You have a new identity. And he's given you a mission. And it's to go and spread the gospel. So obedience means that you don't act out of guilt. But you're also never bored. You're never allowed to be bored as a Christian. That's verse 6 in a nutshell. In short, you're walking how Jesus walked. Jesus always had something to do. Jesus was on a mission, but he also knew when to stop and sleep. Jesus' life gives you a template. Read the Gospels. If you're just getting here, we just got done with the book of John, read the book of John. Read all four Gospels. Look at Jesus' life of self-sacrifice, of faith, of trusting God. He didn't want to go to the cross. He prayed and said, if there'd be any other way. But he went because it wasn't about him. It was about obedience to his Father. And you won't model that perfectly. Let me get that straight. You're not going to like be Jesus 2.0. It's not going to happen. But you're going to change. And in fact, that's the point. Like as you're enduring, as you're you're enduring a lifetime of becoming more like Christ, people will see you changed and then they'll see Jesus through you. So it takes all the pressure off of you. That's what it means to keep Jesus' commandments. All that was question number one. How'd you do? Because you're thinking about your life. How did you do? Question number two. Do you love the brothers? We're going to do verses 7 through 11, and then we're going to leapfrog over that section that I read up front, and we're going to finish it at at that point. So chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Do you love the brothers? Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. "...but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he has the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling." But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, let me start by explaining what loving, loving your brother, that is your fellow Christian, means. Okay, the explanation for it is, is right in verses seven and eight. Verse seven, look at it, it says, it's not a new command, it's based on the old commandments, which I mentioned earlier. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Here I'm going to now focus on the word neighbor like I said I would. And while neighbor, you know that collectively that means everybody. The specific group here that we're going to be covering is your brother. So I'm going to be talking about how you relate to your fellow Christians. We're called to love them as we love ourselves. So what does that look like like on a practical uh, level well consider the previous scenario you know where you're attracted to the girl who's like not a christian okay now imagine that your friend is the one who's like really after that horrible relationship and they're praying for it and you're like prayer blocking them as much as you can and you're like get out of it okay what does it look like to love that person right run get out of there what are you doing you don't just sit there and you're just like oh that's you know i'm glad you found somebody don't do that you help them run that's all it means to love your brother you want them to know and love god too you want them to hold fast just like you're holding fast and if you're not they're not see that's no new commandment right But at the same time, in verse 8, we read that this commandment is new. Do you see? It says it's not new, but it is. How can that be? Because of the hope we have in Jesus. Found in the same verse, the darkness is passing away, and the light, that's Jesus, is shining. See, because of Jesus, the same resources you get in verses 12 through 14 applies to the person next to you. If they're a Christian. Because, you know, they can forget those resources, can't they? Have you ever forgotten that your sins are forgiven? What makes you think they don't forget? See, your friend breaks it off of that girl, right? Maybe he breaks it off, but here comes another one and he's heading right over the cliff again. Your job is to help him see. Remember, you're a Christian. Don't, don't accept the desires of the flesh. Run away. But if you don't do that, guess what? Verse 9, do you see what happens? It says, you're blind. You're in darkness. You're like, that's not fair. Here's the implication. Loving Jesus means you run hard, not just in your own life, but you run hard to help your brothers and sisters hold fast to Jesus. Because you want them to pass the test too, don't you? Or do you just want to be the only one in the classroom at the end? Again, there there are just a ridiculous number of ways in which this could play out in your life. So I'm going to stick to one. Here's, Here's one for the church. Do you assume that other people here in your church are fine because they show up every week? But you just kind of let them go. Oh, they're here again today. They're here. They're smiling. Life must be great. You just kind of assume that because you're busy. I get it. You know, you can't go deep with everyone. I get that. Right. You can't know, especially as we get bigger. You can't know everybody. Jesus only had 12 guys. And even amongst those guys, he only had like three that he really hung out with. I'm not saying you have to like know everybody all the way to the heart. But seriously, like if you haven't already, start with one. Like just pick one person and, and, and just pray for the rest. You know? Do for one fellow Christian what you wish he could do for all of them. That's your application. Don't give up on your brothers and sisters. Now I'm gonna add a little caveat to that later. But for now, I'll just do a little plug. That's why our church has things like fellowship time after the service, and it's why we have things like small group, and it's why we have things like growth groups throughout the week. Because it's a fantastic opportunity to practice loving people, and we're nice. We'll take it easy on you. We're not like the awkward neighbor that has like the you know the the Confederate flag, and you don't even you don't even want to knock. It's not like that. We'll help you practice. But if you don't do that, if you just let people go blind, that spreads, and pretty soon the whole church is going to go off the cliff. And that leads us to our last test question: Do you confess Jesus as the Christ? Sounds like a silly question to ask Christians, doesn't it? You'd be surprised. Um, here's our here's our last section it's verses 18 through 27 and then we'll begin to close children it is the last hour and as you have heard that antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come therefore we know that it is the last hour they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would not have they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the father and the son. No one who denies the son has the father. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Before I kind of start here, is everybody familiar with the term Antichrist? It's kind of old-fashioned. Um, your your grandparents probably use it. They use it a lot in politics for some reason. Um, it's a term that typically has like really negative implications, and it's typically applied to one person. Like it's like like the big boss of evil. Okay? When I grew up it was Hitler. I don't know who it was for you. After that it just started being whoever was president at the time. <laughs> and it's like, this is the guy, this is the guy that's the Antichrist, we've got to take him down. But then that person dies and another one pops up in a few years. Okay, that's not what Antichrist means. Seriously, if your grandparents use that, take them here. Take them to this chapter. Do you see how the text shoots that down? John says, right in verse eighteen, you've heard that antichrist—that's singular—is coming. So now, many antichrists have come. Did you hear the the plural? <laughs> did you hear that? So how did they come to be? Like, and what do they look like? Like, how how's this work? Okay, they went out from us. It says in verse nineteen. What does that mean? Well, it's a little history lesson for you. The church reading this letter from John had just seen a whole bunch of people leave the church. They took off. Why did they leave? Go down to verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So, the Antichrists are the people who have left the church because they were denying Jesus was the Christ historically, I'll use a term here that might seem crazy, they believed in something called Gnosticism. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that term. It sounds old and it's mystical, but it's just a fancy word that means you're really not that bad. That's Gnosticism in a nutshell. Do you see how they got there? Let's, let's look at how they got there. Let's look back over the test. They fail question number one, right? Because they don't have a high view of sin. They're like, I'm not that bad. So they're going to fail that one. Then they fail question number two, because if they don't think sin is a thing, how are they going to help their other Christians? You know, they're just going to be like, you know what, you don't need to repent. You just need to kind of follow these seven steps, and you'll be rich, and it'll be great. So what hope do they have for question number three? The church body around them historically preached the gospel, and they thought, man, I don't need that. And here's the thing, it's that simple and yet terrifying. All it means is they were anti-Christ. That's it. No big boss of evil, no horns. Here are three implications for you. Number one, anti-Christ almost certainly come out of the church. Your next anti-Christ probably has a good church background. They've probably been going to church their whole life. Secondly, antichrists are everywhere. It's plural. And you know what? They probably seem like really nice people. Because they don't like sin. You're good. I'm good. Let's just feel good together. Here's the third one. If you're not changing to become more like Jesus, you will be the next antichrist. Sin is going to blind you so much you probably won't even know it. Here's the caveat from the application in in question number two. Sometimes people or whole churches are so fearful of losing the friendship of people who are not changing but they just won't leave. They're just too nice. We can't get rid of him. He's so smiley. I think he's let you hang around. This is allowed because of a very... Very awful belief. The belief is that confronting some such people and sending them out or allowing them to leave is giving up on them, right? I can't let them out there. But you know what? The opposite is actually true. Giving up on somebody is letting them happily live in darkness. Don't let them be okay with it. And that will be you. And that'll be us if we're not consistently and constantly on guard against sin. Do you want to become the next hot tub church? All you have to do is sit back and relax. That's all you have to do. It's easy. That's why there's so many of them out there. And you know what? If you want to go out and like you know be a missionary and just go plant a church somewhere and you don't get this stuff, you're a hot tub church planner. Do you want to be one of those? Let's start to work toward a conclusion here because there's amazing hope in the midst of this. Because I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that just kind of makes me sad. Like, man, there's a lot of sin out there, isn't there? Let's read 23 through 27. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too Abide. It all goes back to those resources from verses 12 through 14. I'll read them again. Remember, because you might have already forgotten. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, for his glory. Write that on your heart. You can pass the test. Jesus has passed it for you. Believe in that. Verse 13, you know both Jesus and God and have overcome Satan. So you can resist temptation. Verse 14, you are strong and have the word of God. Make the Bible your sword. Friends, you have everything you need to pass the test. And it even says, "Do you see what it says at the end there? It says, you know, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Like, I don't need to teach you. You have everything you need. But here's the thing. All I'm doing is standing up and yelling at you. And God's the one doing the work. I'm just reading the, I'm just reading it and trying to interpret correctly and I'm just giving it to you and then, you know, the spirit works and, you know, clicks and you realize, oh, I'm that person. Like I'm the guy that's attracted to that non-Christian girl. That's me. And then the spirit does work. You are strong and you have the word of God. I mean, people back in the early church, they didn't have Bibles. Like they didn't even get one. You had to like do the equivalent of like going to a lot, li- like walking to the library and like borrowing and then that's it, and of course they didn't have this letter yet. But you have a Bible! You have one right in front of you! We'll give you one! You have the Word of God! So you have everything you need. So how'd you do on the test? How, how are you guys doing right now? How, how do you think your best friend did? Think about your best friend here. How do you think they did? Or if your parents, if your, uh, children are here, how do you, how do you think they're doing? If you failed, okay. Pray with others, right? Repent. Dust yourself off. You can get up. You can take this test every day for the rest of your life. And you can pass. Just don't give up. Or as a fellow Christian puts it, don't fail at failing. Don't fail at failing. Get back up. The short term is going to seem really hard. But here's the hope. If we stay in the light, like if we abide... As we get older, we won't get less sure. Like as life just gets harder and harder and we get older, we can do less stuff. We're not going to be less sure. We're actually going to be more sure. You could be that, that cool old guy or that old lady who's like indestructible for the gospel. You know one. You could be that person. But it's going to take daily repentance and he's getting up and doing the same old thing. But it will happen. And uh, as we get more sure, we'll be more sure that we belong to Jesus forever. This morning we have an opportunity to celebrate the fact that that's possible because of Jesus' work. His work enables us to pass the test. He aced it, he lived perfectly, and then he took our place on the cross. That's why we take communion. So we're going to come up, we're going to do it row by row. Let me invite the... Um, the whoever's on the worship team that's going to play a little bit for us um this is for people by the way who trust christ for salvation because i just gave you this test and if anybody's kind of like swimming and things are kind of crazy in here you might think should i be coming up here should i be doing this here's the thing if you're convicted by this sermon fantastic if the lord's working in you and you're like okay i am messed up but yeah i believe christ is good cool come up come up with us and partake of communion but if, you, if it's just swimming around and you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure, don't. That could be the most helpful thing you do is don't come up. This is for people who trust Christ for salvation. I'll invite you to play. And if the first row could come up, we'll all grab the uh, elements and then we'll take them together at the end.